And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. I know you have seen the passage that we are going through. We've been going through Romans chapter 1 now for the past month, and David figured out that whenever he was going to be on vacation, it would be up to me to preach this passage, to which he went then, ha-ha, you get the fun passage, I'm headed out. And to be honest with you, we a couple weeks ago he was in Ephesians for uh, when we introduced the marriage uh, conference that we're going to be undertaking this week. And he he diverted to Ephesians, and I half think the reason why is because he figured out that his math was wrong, and he needed one other message uh, in order to miss this. Now I'm of course being facetious, being a little funny, but um, but make sure you say that you know he he left it up to me uh, this week. And, and to be quite honest with you. Um, I've known about this, that I'd be looking at this passage now for probably uh, the past month, but in the past two weeks, I've really spent a lot of time in reading and, and talking to people about this, um, because this passage of Scripture that we are going through today is one that is extremely relevant uh, to our current context. Even though we might live in Wakulla County, do not think that we are not beyond what is going on specifically when it comes to homosexuality. Now, that's not what the entire passage is about, this entire message is about, because let's face it, that's not what this chapter is about. We're in Romans chapter 1, and Paul is beginning uh, to uh, his letter to the Romans, and really, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays out the groundwork that we need Jesus. In chapter 1, Paul begins to speak directly to the Gentiles and begins to talk, as, as David mentioned last week, he really talks about theology when it comes to nature, that we can know something about God when we look at the created order, that all of us have the ability to understand that there is a mark that is missed, that you look at that nature and you see that, that there are wars, that, that there are hurricanes and tornadoes, and we know that something is fundamentally off, and that requires a response from us. And we see Paul lay out in this chapter that there is nothing that we can do on our own in order to come to God. Now, spoiler alert, since Dave gave me this passage, I'm going to tell you what his message is going to be about next week. So he, he then, in chapter 1, really points to Gentiles and say, you have no excuse because you did, uh, even though you did not have the law. You should have known from nature. He turns in chapter 2 and says, listen here, those of you who were under the law, those Jewish believers, you knew the law and yet you failed to follow God. And then he comes to chapter 3 and says, for all of us have sinned and fall short, that, that no one among us is able to save ourselves and what hope do we have? And then we get to chapter 4 where Jesus comes into play, where he says that it is, it is the blood of Jesus that has come and has saved us. That though we have failed to, to see God in nature, though we have failed to see God in his word, that Jesus came and offered us this ability to repent and to believe. And so here, while we're in chapter one, uh, I, I actually have a title to, for today's message. How do you like that? Growth, right? Uh, it's not just the, the verse. The, the question is, and this carries over from last week, who do you worship? 
Who do you worship? Uh, verse 23 that precedes this passage, uh, Paul says that uh, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, Paul here is talking about idolatry. He's talking about putting something in God's place. And while at this time, idolatry, and we talk about this time, talking about here in the context of Scripture, at this time, idolatry literally was something made of stone or made of wood. We still suffer from the same sin today as the pagans, as the Jews did of this time. You see, idolatry today might not be a wooden statue. It might not be a carved image, but let's face it. It is a reflective image when we look into the mirror. You see, idolatry in America today, and really idolatry throughout the centuries, has been just this, the worship of ourselves. Whether it be our ideas, our desires, our thoughts, we worship ourselves Case in point, now, you all can see me, right? I think I'm the best athlete who knows everything about literally any game that I play. This is, this is a point where you can laugh. Uh, it's meant to be funny because very much so, uh, whenever I get out onto the field, it seems that I have a brain and body malfunction that takes place. I know I should be making some moves that I do not make. And the reason I don't make that is because I am not good. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, I continue to try anyway. You see, a lot of us have this problem where we understand the right answers. We, we understand what we're supposed to do, and yet we continue to do the exact opposite. Who do we worship? And so my main point today, I'm going to go ahead and give it away. My main point that we're going to be going through today is this, that God is gracious in allowing people to pursue their desires. God is gracious enough to allow people to pursue their desires. When we think about the idea of religious freedom, God gives us the freedom to either worship him or not worship him. But that takes on everything that comes with us accepting one of those positions. If we choose to worship God, that, that gives us the opportunity to have salvation. God is gracious in allowing us to be able to be saved, to be able to have family, to be able to no longer be under the penalty of sin. But if we choose not to worship him, God is gracious in allowing us to do just that as well. But understand that incurs on us condemnation. It incurs on us death and destruction. And indeed, in the final day, we will see that we were wrong. Why? Because we thought to ourselves that we knew better. Who do we worship? And so now we are, as we normally do, go, we're going to go verse by verse. But I do want to mention this right before we get into this passage. I am going to spend a little bit of time on the topic of homosexuality. Um, so just, just note that. Um, 
and I do want to say this, especially for parents who have kids here in the audience, although I'm not going to go into great detail, um, it is something that I do recommend, especially those of middle school and high school age students, uh, to stay in and listen. And the reason why is this. They are facing this every single day, and they need to hear what the Word of God says, and that the Word of God is definite, but yet the Word of God also calls us to action. So, Let us begin with verse 24. It says, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Notice here that it said, the text says, God gave them up. Three times throughout this passage, we will see this phrase, God gave them up. And hopefully in your mind, you are thinking of Exodus. Because in Exodus chapter 10, we see all throughout up till chapter 10 that Moses and Aaron go before, uh, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they continue to ask uh, Pharaoh, let our people go and worship in the wilderness. At first, they didn't even ask to leave. At first, they said, let us just go worship in the wilderness. And the text says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says this multiple times until we get to the seventh plague, where in chapter 10 of, of the book of Exodus, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God gave him up. In other words, Pharaoh up to this point has hardened his own heart to God, and now God is going to allow Pharaoh to experience the consequence of what it means to harden his heart. And because of that, we understand what comes later to eventually the 10th plague, the killing of the firstborn child. This should grieve us. This should cause us to inspect ourselves to make sure that we have not we have not gotten to the point that we are, are, are following our sin to where God says, okay, now I'll let you see this one out. Because let's face it, that's normally when everything goes awry. But three times in this passage it says God gave them up. God is gracious in allowing, his, in allowing people to choose whether or not to follow him. Verse 25, and because of this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Because of this, because of this, they exchanged the truth of reality, the truth of God for a lie, specifically to worship something other than God. Now, I've been on record to say that I believe that the, the, the root of all sin is idolatry. And notice here that when we go to worship something other than God, we are now following a lie. In our society today, we hear about truth being relative. But the only time we can really say that truth is relative is whenever we give up the absolute truth of God's word. For the Christian, this should not be. All truth is God's truth, and all truth must be followed because all truth leads to proper worship. And whenever we we begin to accept these lies is whenever we begin to deviate. And guys, we are all susceptible to this. We are all susceptible to this false uh, worship. We're going to talk about this towards the end, but how we make sure that we stay online is that we, we hold and we keep one another. 
where we submit to one another, where we pray for one another, where we come to one another when we know that there are needs to be, to be had and, and, and go and care for one another. Otherwise, we might very possibly believe one of these lies, especially the lie of I can do it all on my own, which is exactly what idolatry is. Began to serve the creature rather than the creator. Now we get to the fun part. Verse number 26. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of that era. Or error, excuse me. Paul here discusses homosexuality as one way that people have exchanged proper worship of God to themselves. The truth of God and his created order is exchanged for something completely unnatural. We must confront this issue head on and determine what scripture says about it. While we tend to think of times of old as more conservative, this is much farther from the truth uh, at the time of Paul. This is the time of Rome. This is the time of Greece, of Alexander. Homosexuality at this time was not just prevalent. It was culturally accepted. One commentator noted that of the first 15 Roman emperors, as many as 13 could have been practicing homosexuals. And homosexuality was much more pervasive in Paul's era than probably today. To say what culture is going through currently has never happened before is patently wrong. And let's face it, this issue has touched every pew in here this morning. As a matter of fact, Michelle and I, we've, we had a good friend uh, who was actually in our wedding, um, but basically uh, broke contact with us. And when we finally figured out uh, her, her phone number, we contacted her, and, and she told us, she said, listen, I, 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 I love you as a friend, but uh, I'm now in love with a woman, and if you can't, uh, if you can't uh, celebrate that with me, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, and, and to which we replied, listen, we, we love you, we, we love you as a friend, but you understand that we, we must stand on God's word, and though we, we want to be around you, though we want to love on you, and we want to show you God's love, um, that, that is not anything we can celebrate with you. And because of that, she has uh, blocked us from being able to contact her. Um, probably many of you in this room uh, have similar situations, whether it be with friends or with family. Uh, this topic hurts. This topic hurts because ultimately what we're dealing with is sin, and sin is divisive, and sin destroys. And so because of that, we need to look and see what Scripture has to say, because let's face it, today, or actually as of last month, one of six of our current teenage generation identify as LGBT. But unlike perhaps some crazy questions of bioethics, Scripture directly addresses this. And so we as Christians must look to Scripture for the answer. We must follow the truth. And so, first, we can see that we must understand that homosexuality is no more unforgivable than compared to other sins. Homosexuality is condemned and separates us from God. 
just as any other sin we see below. In fact, here in just a little bit, God is going to, or Peter is going to say uh, that one of the manners of unrighteousness that God has given people over to is gossip. You see, it is sin and it separates us from a good and a holy God. Homosexuality does not send one to hell on its own, just as heterosexuality does not send one to heaven. Homosexuality is a symptom of sin, our rebellion against God, and ultimately our desire to worship our own self-image. The only unforgivable sin found in Scripture is blaspheming the Holy Spirit as found in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And this is a, a fundamental state of the heart that is in complete rebellion to God. Embracing the homosexual lifestyle is this. The rebellion against God, just as embracing any other sexual sin, such as polygamy, polyamory, or probably what is more pervasive in our churches, pornography. You see, homosexuality here is dishonorable. But so are sins such as murder that have been described by God as uh, abominable. If you take, go back to Genesis uh, to after the flood, God tells Noah, do not shed the blood of innocent man or else his blood shall be shed. And yet we see throughout Scripture that most of our heroes of the faith were indeed murderers. Moses, David, both had shed innocent uh, blood. And yet God used them to do mighty and miraculous things. Accepting any of these as normative, talking about any of these sins listed here in this passage, is full rebellion against the truth of God and thus is not true worship of God. Second, we must understand that we are only complete when we repent and accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Culture also tries to push the narrative that we are only fulfilled if we are in relationships. Uh, being a youth pastor, uh, I've, I've had a, a line in on this. If you think that shows such as Married at First Sight have a lot of drama, you obviously have not watched the episodes of Teenage Dating. Uh, I've, I've made this joke on many occasions that some of these uh, students change boyfriends more than I change my socks. Uh, they just go from, from one to another and one to another, and, and we have to sit there and ask, why in the world does this transpire? Why does this take place? Uh, culture is throwing this at us constantly, that we must be in relationship with one another to be fully complete. If we think about it, most music on the radio is about one of three things, becoming complete when finding someone, being upset when they are not complete because of a breakup, or looking forward to finding that someone that can complete them. Our, our television shows do the same thing. Uh, being a consumer of comic books and everything of nerddom, uh, I fell in love with the show The Big Bang Theory. I loved it because they would go through these uh, very minuscule details of comics that only the super nerds could understand. And me thinking that I'm smart, uh, I would see that and I'd go, ha ha, I know that one. You know, whereas everybody else in my family was absolutely clueless. But the show is not about a group of nerds as they try to go throughout life. Indeed, the show is essentially about a group of geniuses trying to find love. Every major plot line was about a character getting into a relationship that will last and even putting pressure uh, on others in order to find those relationships. 
You know, we even put pressure on our loved ones when it comes to this as well. If someone is older and is not married or dating, it is not uncommon for our family members to pressure them into dating or to find someone quickly. Perhaps it's because we've bought into the lie that we are only complete when we are loved by someone. I've been married now for 10 years and, and dating my wife for 14. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. At no time did she ever complete me. Now, granted, my life has improved. I'm not going to say that. I wear matching clothes now, which, by the way, this does match, right? Because I did pick this out this morning. I had no idea to match. Okay, good. So I wear matching clothes now. Uh, my, my tastes have expanded quite vastly. No longer am I just a consumer of ramen noodles and Kraft macaroni and cheese. Uh, now I eat meat, not just when I go out to a restaurant, but at home. Uh, so, so my life has improved quite vastly uh, since knowing her. But at no time does improvement equal completion. It does not mean sustain. It means that my life was better or is better than it once was. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul speaks of the merits of singleness. Singleness allows one to fully develop the, uh, devo- devote themselves to the Lord. They're not anxious about pleasing their spouse since, they, uh, since there is only undivided devotion, he says in verse 35, to the Lord. We must understand that, yes, marriage is a gift, but singleness also as well. To not be married is to not have a problem. Case in point, Jesus never married. Are you going to insinuate that Jesus was not complete? And if you say yes, just to help out that argument of yours, let me just go ahead and say that your Jesus is not sufficient to save you from your sins. You see, when we believe that someone else completes us, They are our God. Third, homosexuality is against the word of God. As David mentioned last week, Paul is is turning to the natural order here to show that homosexuality is against God's intended creation. However, we must remember that there are specific commands in Scripture against homosexual behavior. Many opponents of this view have tried to twist terms in order to suit their needs. Case in point, right here in this passage, many would say that Paul is actually not condemning homosexuality, but is instead condemning pedophilia. They would take this argument throughout the entirety of Scripture, including passages like Leviticus chapter 18, where it says the consequences of such actions are death. However, here there is no term meaning an adult and a child. Instead, it is stated that these are people of the same sex engaging in this type of activity. Same goes with Leviticus 18. Though Jesus never condemns homosexuality by name, he does mention in Mark chapter 7 that sexual immorality is one thing that defiles a person. This term, pornea, would have been known to Jesus' audience as encompassing homosexuality, just as with every other sexual perversion. This happens when we are trying to insert meaning into the text. And our jobs as as followers of Jesus, as followers of Scripture, is not to insert meaning what we think onto the text, but is instead to draw out the meaning of the text and live that out. You see, if we disagree with Scripture, it is we who are wrong, 
not the inerrant word of God. And that is difficult, especially for us Americans, because one thing we don't like to be is wrong. But yet, time and time again, once again, I've been married for 10 years, I find out that I'm wrong a lot. Fourth, those who are involved in homosexual behavior come to Christ just the same way as we do, through repentance. If you are a Christian, as Paul says here in this passage, you were once unrighteous, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, and a hater of God. That is, until the Holy Spirit showed you your sin and called you to repent and accept the free gift of salvation offered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as determined by God himself. Salvation is available to all by exactly the same means, repentance. Repentance does not mean merely that I'm sorry or uh, that I, you know, I'll try not to do this again, but it means I will no longer live my life as dictated by satisfying my sinful impulses, but live intentionally in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean that we will no longer sin, but that we are no longer bound to consistently sin. This process of ridding ourselves of sin called sanctification will continue throughout our lives. It's possible that we no longer will have to deal with the same temptations that we did whenever we come to faith in Christ. But let's face it, sometimes those struggles that we continue to face are ones that we continue to face before we became a Christian. However, now, on this side of Christ, we are no longer powerless against these vain desires. Instead, as, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, we are new creations. The former enslavement has passed away, and we now live through Christ, who took on those sinful desires, and in doing so, reconciled us to him. Just as I, as a man, may continue to struggle with lust, with pride, or foolishness, they do not define me. My last point here, fifth, just as with other non-believers, we must engage those with these desires with gospel conversations. Just as those struggling with pornography, with drugs, or with alcohol, you know, more than likely our message will be rejected. However, most people do not come to faith in Christ after only having one or two gospel conversations. You know how many it normally takes? Over 90. Over 90 times does it take for one to finally understand, for, for God to prick their heart and let them know that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. You see, we got to keep having these conversations and keep having these conversations and keep having converse, these conversations. And a lot of times we sit there and say, well, you know what? I don't see a lot of, of these people who are, who are struggling with homosexual desires or alcoholism or drug addiction coming to faith in Christ. You want to know what the reason, why the reason that is? It's because we don't tell them. It's because we don't tell them about the gospel. You see, though, we might say that it doesn't work. The fact is, is that uh, the North American Mission Board has a statistic that says that 95% of all Christians have never shared their faith. You know the reason why people don't come to faith in Christ? We don't tell them. We need to be faithful in sharing the message 
of reconciliation. Now, I've had a few conversations with people throughout this week about this topic to get an idea of what our family may think about it. Uh, And the number one response that I kept getting, that I kept receiving, was that people could not understand why someone would see this sort of lifestyle and think it was suitable for them. And while there are a myriad of reasons why some might choose this lifestyle, we must remember that there is no such thing as a smart sin. All sin is stupid. Yeah, there you go. If you don't get anything from this message today, you should get this. All sin is stupid. (laughs) Maybe that should be a motto. Make a t-shirt on it. You see, all sin drives us away from a good and holy God. Alcohol abuse, pornography, and disobedience to parents, that's right here in this passage, are all stupid and are all unconscionable to a good and holy God. Our mark to hit is not our idea of good. Our mark to hit is perfection. And the only way we can do this, though, is through the repentance and submission to God. We must reach out, because like I said earlier, one in six of our current teenage generation identifies LGBT, and as of last year, a Gallup poll came out and said that uh, a little bit less than one out of every ten Americans do as well, uh, adults. The time for us to reach out was a decade ago. We must be faithful. We must submit and share the gospel truth even when it's something that we don't understand. We must be faithful in this. Verse 27, or verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God once again gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up. You see, when, when one chooses to follow their own version of truth, when one follow, chooses to follow their lie because they don't like the truth of Scripture, guess what? It leads us to all kinds of sinfulness. Once again, we see this right here in verse 29. It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, covetousness, and malice, They are full of envy, of murder, of strife, of deceit, of maliciousness. And I love this one here. Paul goes ahead and throws in, they are gossipers. (laughs) A lot of times we think of that as being so small, and yet here Paul calls this out and says, no, this is against the truth of God. If you do this, you are worshiping something other than the truth of Scripture. It says, verse 30, they are slanderers, they are haters of God, they are insolent, they are haughty, they are boastful, they are inventors of evil, they are disobedient to parents. Y'all hear that, students? Y'all hear that, adults? (laughs) They are foolish, they are faithless, they are heartless, and they are ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You see that list of stuff right there, it's interesting what he says about them. Every single one of these sins means that we deserve to die if we commit them, and let's face it, at least one, if not multiple, uh, sins on that list 
probably stuck out at a few of us. I know it did me. Specifically, pride, maliciousness, slander. All of these are deserving of death and are deserving, as David said last week, of the wrath of God. And so the question that we have after this is what hope do we have? What hope do we have as human beings who see sin and see it pervasive in our lives and understand that there is nothing that we can do to overcome it? But let me tell you about the one who already overcame it. You see, Jesus Christ lived on this earth, lived the perfect life that we should live, that died the death that we deserved and did not stop there because you see on the third day he rose from the dead, thus defeating death and then doing so defeating sin. And he says that he took on the sin of the world in order to do one thing for us and that was to bring us into relationship with him. You see, outside or within ourselves, there is no hope. We are idolaters. Who do we worship? We worship ourselves. But when we repent and submit to the Lord God Most High, when we accept this gift of salvation as given to us by Christ, we are no longer bound to this sin. We are, as mentioned earlier, new creations. And in being new creations, we now have the ability to live life and live it fully. But notice that this can only come if we repent. I had a conversation a couple months ago. We were having a, an FCA event down at the field. And you know how some of that, sometimes that goes, like at the end, like all the youth pastors come to the front and, you know, you, you just see these guys just walk down and they, they stand there and then the guy keeps going. We're just kind of, you know, keep standing there, you know, and just waiting. And then it finally says, you know, if, if there's someone who needs to talk to a youth pastor uh, about what the gospel means, uh, come down. And so this one guy came down and came, or beelined it right toward me. And I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. <laughs> and uh, never met him before in my life. I, I've seen him only one other time. Uh, he came right up to me and he says, hey, you're a youth pastor. Do you know anything about scripture? It's like, yeah, kind of. You know, I might be a little versed. And uh, he said, okay, um, I went to church and I had this feeling. What does it mean? <laughs> and so uh, and the feeling he said he had was that he, he, needed, uh, he needed forgiveness. Um, but he said, and the next line was this, uh, I'm LGBT. Um, and I believe that I'm okay because I was born this way. Um, so what, is that, what does that mean? And I told him, I said, you come to faith in Christ just as any other person does. You must repent and believe. And his question was this, what if I feel I have nothing to repent of? Now, while we might sit there and say that of him, Let's turn and look at many others in our lives who say the exact same thing. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a liar. I'm genuinely a good person. What should I repent of? You see, 
We all are called to repentance. Why? Because we all understand that ultimately we have failed. Now, we might try to lie to ourselves and say, no, I'm generally a good person. I haven't done as much sin as that person over there. I mean, I'm not Hitler. You know, so how in the world can you say that I need to repent whenever you got people like Hitler available? My answer was this. Hitler needs, needed to repent, and so do you, just like I did as well. I grew up in the church pretty much my entire life, came to faith at seven, but I realized at the age of seven that I was in sin and I was in need of a Savior. And so at that moment, I thought to myself, who must I worship? If I am going to have life and have it abundantly, if I'm going to follow truth instead of a lie, it is I'm going to follow, I'm going to worship the one true and holy God. So my question to you as we end this is this. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? We all worship something, whether it be someone, whether it be God himself, or whether it be perhaps the person sitting next to you. But we all worship. The question is, who do you worship? We're going to go into a time of invitation. If you'd like to know more about what it means to worship this one true and holy God, please come forward. If you'd like to join our church, you can come forward as well. We'll go ahead and get the paperwork done. We'll do the voting and everything that get you involved with the ministries that we're doing as we try to reach this county with the gospel. But make no mistake, we all must reconcile with this idea of who do we worship. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, Father, we praise you for your goodness and graciousness towards us that though even we were fallen away from you, though we were, we were haters of you, that you still sent Jesus to die on the cross so that way we can have life and so we can know what true love means. Father, we pray as we go into this time of invitation that, Father, you would reveal to us our sin so we can follow you that much more closely. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.